I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Eric Adams is now New York City's mayor-elect and the city's first plant-based mayor to hold office. To commemorate this moment, I decided to re-release an episode of the podcast that was recorded back in 2018 when Eric Adams was making waves for his work as Brooklyn's borough president. I sat down with Eric Adams back then to talk about his journey back to health using plant-based nutrition and to get his insights on food policy issues. So much of this conversation is still very relevant today, and I can't wait to see what Mayor Eric Adams does for New York City and its food system. I hope you enjoy this insightful and timely episode. So we're in a state of emergency that no one seems to be talking about as a planet, as a nation, undoubtedly as a city, New York is in a state of emergency. And Brooklyn, being the most populated uh, borough of New York City, is at the heart of this emergency. And we'll get to talking about what's happening with the planet, but let's stay with Brooklyn for now. And the emergency I'm talking about is the public health crisis we're facing, the rising rates of obesity and chronic illnesses like heart disease and uh, type 2 diabetes um, is widespread. And Another thing to keep in mind, especially here in Brooklyn, is that the people that are most affected by it are disproportionately people of color and um, people who are economically disadvantaged as well. Uh, and if you examine the, you look at the evidence, uh, the clear suspect in all of this seems to be our food. Unfortunately, the fuel that we rely on to nourish us is the poison that seems to be killing us. And as, and I know your personal journey, you've used food to heal yourself and transform your life. Um, what does this issue mean to you personally? It means a lot. And I think that uh, uh, one, that although uh, the uh, lack of proper nutrition impacts uh, communities of color, uh, the fact is it is impacting the entire country. Because even uh, uh, affluent uh, New Yorkers um, are consuming the wrong foods. And because of that, they are getting cancer. They are getting diabetes, um, heart disease. Uh, I think about someone great like Ed Cranepool, the legendary Met who had his foot removed last year due to diabetes. Uh, and this issue, uh, whoever is consuming the American diet, uh, is going to um, also get some of these diseases. And I was typical of that. Um, you know, uh, 22 years law enforcement as a police officer, retiring as a captain, uh, state senator um, after serving for seven years, uh, becoming um, borough president, first person of color to become borough president. Um, two, a little over two years into my term, I was feeling some pain uh, in my stomach that I thought was um, really, to be to be honest, I thought it was colon cancer because of how it felt, and I just lost a good friend to colon cancer. So I went to to a uh, doctor, had a colonoscopy and an endoscopy to check my stomach and check my colon. 
Um, and at the same time, I was experiencing other medical issues that I ignored. Um, I had numbness in my hands and feet. Um, what I learned, it turned out that it was, you know, advanced diabetes, nerve damage, uh, and I was told that it was permanent. Uh, I lost, I was uh, losing my eyesight in my right eye, and I all but lost it in my left eye. Um, I had high cholesterol numbers, high blood pressure. Uh, turned out from the endoscopy, I had um, a ulcer in my stomach. And uh, my PSA was high. I looked fine, but I needed to take an internal selfie. And that internal selfie revealed that my body was breaking down. And uh, after um, going to five doctors here in New York, um, they all told me the same thing. They said, Eric, it's hereditary. It's in your DNA. Your mother's diabetic. Your brothers and sisters are diabetic. You have serious diabetes. Your A1C is in the high teens. Uh, and normal A1C of 8, I mean, normal A1C of 5.6. And when you go up to an 8, that's dangerous. So when you're mm-hmm. up in the teens, you know, you the doctor said, I don't know how you're not in a coma. Wow. And uh, all the doctors I went to, uh, two said the same thing. You're going to be on medication the rest of your life. They want to give me medicine for my eyes, medicine for my um, for my uh, ulcer, medicine for my diabetes, medicine. They want to give me th- uh, three medicines for my diabetes, one including insulin injection, uh, medicine for my cholesterol, medicine for my high blood pressure. So everyone wanted to pull out the prescription pad and give me medicine. <laughs> and it was... Um, a few months prior to that. And that's why, you know, this is more than just uh, food. It's just really reconnecting ourselves to the universe. Because a few months prior to that, I was drawn to just reading about the body's ability to heal itself. And I used to wake up in the middle of the night and go do TED Talks (laughs) and, and just read and do Google body ability to heal itself. So when I went into those doctors and they told me, that uh, I needed um, to take all that medicine, I went in with the understanding um, that, hey, the body could heal itself. Mm-hmm. And I immediately dust off all that stuff that I read and said, uh, let me go find out about this now. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled on Dr. Esserton in Ohio at the Cleveland Clinic and um, got a couple of books, Dr. Bonner, Dr. Greger, and others, and I spoke with Dr. Esserton, who treated Bill Clinton for his heart disease. Dr. Esserton told me to fly down to see him in Ohio. I took an early morning flight out, and I saw him. And while flying down, I read uh, Dr. Gregor's book, <laughs> How Not to Die. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Stuff blew me away. Yeah. So after seeing Dr. Esserton, he told me, you know, listen, change your lifestyle, and you'll put your diabetes in remission. And it was just, I couldn't even phantom that thought. Mm-hmm. And like so many other people, we can't even phantom the strength of how much food plays a role because we're so indoctrinated with the belief the only way you heal is through an injection, a pill, an operation. Anything outside of that in America, it's just non-existent. Um, uh, chi or meditation or, or, or positive thinking or, or, or all these other methods that the globe is using to heal prior to, in, to adopting the American way of doing things. 
Um, we just don't fathom that. Yeah. And so I gave him pushback and, you know, he just looked at me as to say, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm not, this is not a conversation. Mm-hmm. This is what you have to do. And so I went home and I, I, I dove in head first, um, removed the items in my kitchen that he said I shouldn't have, um, stop eating meat immediately, mm-hmm. stop eating uh, fish, uh, stop uh, eating oils. Um, added and processed food, and I went to a whole food, plant-based diet. And three weeks after doing so, my eyesight cleared up. I was able to Just see- Just three weeks. Three weeks. Three months, all the nerve damage in my hands and feet disappeared. They, th- they told me it was, um, it was irreversible. Um, my A1C went down to a 5.7 from the high teens. Um, the ulcer is gone. My cholesterol went down to a 57. Uh, my high blood pressure is amazingly low. Just a complete turnaround with my entire body from the food. Wow. And, and so, and, and it hit me that my, my diabetes didn't come from I shared bad DNA with my mother. I shared a bad dinner with her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the food. Mm. It's the food. And was your diet, um, how was your diet before all this happened? Was it, you know, burgers and fries, soda and chips, or was it just um, home cooking meat and potatoes? Yeah, and and, and my diet wasn't crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a real addiction to sweets. I enjoyed sweets. I enjoyed enjoyed, enjoyed processed cake and cookies and and ice cream. you know, I I wasn't a heavy meat eater, yeah. but I ate enough of meat. I I did fast food. You know, mm-hmm. you'll you'll see me in a fast food restaurant um, chopping on a hamburger <laughs> or over at some other fast food place. You know, so I had a fast food lifestyle. Ninety percent of the food I ate came from restaurants. Right. Now, 90% of the food I eat, I cook myself. Yeah. And, you know, you said a few things in there that are so important is that there are some systemic problems going on here. One is the food itself that people tend to buy, um, whether it is um, a Happy Meal at McDonald's, the lady behind the counter who's selling someone a Happy Meal. Nothing. That's not. She's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with what she's doing. She's just doing her job. Um, the doctor who's telling you that you need to be on a prescription medication is not wrong. And that at the end of the day, they're doing their job. It's the system that doesn't understand that maybe uh, there's preventative steps that could be taken as well as healing that could involve things that are not prescription medication. And the guy at the corner of the, the bodega selling you chips and soda is also not the bad guy at the end of the day. It's the system that we've set up where access to um, cheap, unhealthy, fast food is just easier. And um, the better stuff and the uh, buying fresh produce and cooking at home seems to be the tougher step to do. Um, And then you add a layer on top of it where some people are just trying to get by and are too busy and working multiple jobs. They don't have the time. So they reach for the most convenient thing. And often a majority of the convenient stuff that we get today is terrible for you. Um, So my point is, I think we need to look at things across the spectrum. How do we get individuals to rethink what their food choices are, but also how do we work on changing the system so that individuals don't just become victims to it? So how do you think 
you know, now that you've gone through this amazing journey, how do you think we can start spreading this message? I know you're doing some work here in Brooklyn. Um, where do you think we can even begin? Uh, it is uh, definitely a ground up movement. Uh, it's not going to take place from the top. It is going to take place when mothers uh, join us in our call to to have uh, meatless Mondays in schools, which should eventually graduate to meatless Mondays through Fridays. Uh, it's going to raise a conversation and the connection between uh, my child uh, who has asthma and the food that, that he's eating. Mm. Uh, you know, I had type 2 diabetes, uh, but the re reports and study clearly shows that even people with type 1 diabetes would do better if they change their diet, if they get out the milk out of their diet and some of the other dairy products. Uh, when we start educating parents mm. on a local granule level of Here's what we are doing to our children based on the diet. Because no mother wants to or father wants to intentionally do something that's harmful to their child. The, the most devastating aspect and heart-wrenching aspect of this journey is discovering that the food I fed my son contributed to his allergies and his asthma. I could have, if I was more knowledgeable, mm -hmm. I would have given him the right medical start that he needed. And so... We are educating on the ground. We're showing the options. We're showing the immediate impact of a lifestyle change. My mother went through the, my journey with me after watching me for almost a year. She's been um, plant-based for uh, two months now. She's now off insulin. Wow. She's 79 years old. So when 79-year-old Southerners or 79-year-old Caribbean or 79-year-old uh, Russian-speaking or Asian, when they start to see the possibilities, then it's going to cascade throughout the entire community. Yeah. So you don't, you know, you, you feel that by empowering individuals is the best shot we have um, because they have the power today to go and choose better foods, learn how to cook it, learn what the health impacts of those foods will be on them as well as their families. Um, would you say that's the key driver? But what about bringing about change in um, our food system to make sure more people learn about healthy food, have access to it? And then if we are buying packaged foods, there at least are some healthy options out there for someone who's grabbing a snack on the go. And, and that is why I say we have to start on the mm -hmm. grassroots level. Because once I educate that parent... Mm -hmm. Uh, to what that food is doing to their children. Then they are going to go to their local electeds and who decide the policies and say, I want better for my child. So I want a law passed where you cannot have a fast food restaurant X number of feet from a school. I want a law passed that since the WHO stated that uh, processed meat is a type 1 carcinogen, since you can't advertise to children on TV cigarettes, you can't advertise, advertise that processed meat also. Since you can't, it's against the law to give a cigarette to a child, this should be against the, the law to serve processed meat in our schools. So I want parents to go to uh, their elected officials 
and state that when you use your procurement dollars and schools buy food under mayoral control, you're going to have healthy options for families. That is what's going to motivate the industry because the industry is in business to do business, not Mm -hmm. to lose business. Trust me when I tell you, if people stop going into a place and say, give me two off beef patties on a special sauce in a sesame seed bun Mm -hmm. and say, listen, I want some kale, you would start seeing kale being sold. Mm -hmm. No, I love that you say that because um, I thought if you could... we could empower more people to see that this is the right choice that they should be making for themselves. We would help create the demand for these kinds of foods. And the way that industry works is they go where the money goes and the money goes where people's choices with their money goes. So they, you can bring about, you can vote with your dollars to bring about change if you choose to. It takes a while, but when enough people do it, especially when we have people like you, telling them that they should be doing this and have these amazing stories, you now have people who are incentivized to question what they're being sold in in the ads, to question um, what they have been told growing up about things like dairy and needing meat in a diet to to get adequate amount of protein or needing dairy to get adequate amount of calcium. And, you know, thanks to work that you're doing, as well as the internet, which makes information accessible. At the end of the day, you learned a lot of what you learned by looking up books, by by researching online. We can now do this sort of ground up movement. And the best part, as we're seeing in the last few years, the industry is also responding. There's more demand for plant-based foods more than ever before. And in fact, some of the bigger meat companies are also starting to invest and look at plant proteins as a potential um, alternative for them to get into because, you know, they see there's money in it. And then the last thing that changes is policies. No, without a doubt. Uh, Clearly, uh, the traditional American diet is dead. The question becomes is how expensive they're going to make the funeral. (laughs) You know, the reality is clear. uh, And in all honesty, uh, if we did not have something like the internet, I don't believe there would be a clear pathway for for it because it's just so important for the sharing of information and being able to have easy easy access to information. And there is just a wealth of uh, groups, support groups, um, who have connected Mm -hmm. and able to pass on uh, the information. So the information no longer uh, is able to remain in the dark. Yeah. It's out there now, even something as simple as a pod, podcast and having people talk about it and see. And and the, one of the number one reasons I believe uh, that we're going to see progress is because of the, how fast your body responds to good food. Americans don't have the patience to wait. If I had to tell my mother, listen, if you eat this way in a year, you'll see some results. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep it for that for the, mm-hmm. for the 12 months. But for her to see results in two months, mm-hmm. she said, wow, there's something here. And the beauty of a plant-based, whole food, plant-based lifestyle is your body's going to respond so rapidly that you're going to instantly start seeing the results no matter who you are. And that is easy for people to hold on to 
not only do they see the light at the end of the tunnel, but they actually feel the sunshine of it right on their face. And it's easy to be motivated when you see results. Mm -hmm. And that is what I, I saw so quickly with mom, so quickly with me, and the countless number of people who write me and email me and text me and tell me how much their lives have changed since they embraced their whole food plant-based diet. Yeah. And what do you think is sort of the toughest thing in, in the time that you've been doing this and trying to talk about it to people? What is the, you know, obviously people are very attached to foods that they love and they've grown up with. And that is one big hurdle to overcome. Uh, but more importantly, even if you do see some of the benefits, a lot of people have trouble sticking with it if they don't have a bit of a community around them to support them, to share recipes or to share meals with. Um, you end up kind of feeling isolated in your family uh, if everyone else is not on board. What have you done um, or have you seen so far in terms of challenges and work that's being done to, to overcome that? Uh, building the community uh, is so important. And that is why every three months, we hold a, a a vegan plant-based meetup here at Borough Hall where several hundred people come out and they interact with each other. They talk with each other. They ex exchange recipes and ideas. Uh, so I'm very clear that if we don't build these support mechanisms, we're not going to be successful in what we are attempting to do to spread this wider. So we're looking at uh, our young people, particularly the quote-unquote hip-hop generation, the millennials, uh, and having them see that they're losing too many friends mm -hmm. uh, to health-related issues. Uh, we are looking at how do we go to where people go for uh, reinforcement. We're collaborating with churches and having health ministries where people are coming together in health ministries and the entire church embracing the concept of a whole food plant-based diet and exchanging uh, recipes, recipes. And then we're being very conscious in that food must be good for you, it must look good to you, and it must taste good. Mm -hmm. So we're exploring to show people how they can get those traditional tastes that they enjoy with healthy food. And using spices and exploring new spices and treating this as what it is. It is an ad addiction. Mm -hmm. And if we don't respect that, then we will never get to the core. The, the neuroscientists have clearly shown that the pleasure that we get from our foods is the same place that pleasure comes from, from the brain. Same way of having sex and enjoying it, it's using a drug, enjoying it, drinking alcohol. That same pleasure sense is what food does. And if we don't treat it like that and just say, well, listen, just stop giving, uh, uh, eating such and such, we're going to fail. Yeah. Now, there are those who go cold turkey, who feels as though, you know what, this is not healthy, I'm no longer eating it. That's fine. But there's also far too many who need help to get there. And that's what we, what we want to do, build a mechanism to give people help. That's amazing. I mean, the fact that you're doing that work is is really um, amazing because I think people need it. And for it to come from your office and from you, and especially that you're having these events and getting people together with food and with experts is um, it's kind of the thing that we need. Um, I also want to talk about one more thing that um, generally doesn't come up in conversations about health and food is that 
I have a sense, and I would love to get your take on it, is that it's irresponsible to tell people just to eat healthy food without also getting them to understand that how that food is produced and distributed. I guess what I'm trying to say is that you can't talk about health and food without bringing up the environment and sustainability. And some people might think we have no business mixing the two issues because people are sick and they need urgent help. Let's not talk about the environment, which a lot of people assume is about the trees and saving rivers. But if you really think about bringing about long-term public health change, not just for the next five or 10 years, but for generations to come, you have to encourage people to eat healthy food that you also best utilizes our precious natural resources. And the best part about all of this is that plant-based food achieves both those goals. It helps you from a health standpoint. It also is undoubtedly better for the environment. Uses, um, you know, if you eat a plant-based diet for a day, you're going to save 1,500 gallons of water. Most people don't know that. If you eat a plant-based diet, you're going to cut your carbon footprint in half. Most people don't even know that. And you also think about how much grain we would then divert from the factory farming system to actually feed human beings. If you look ahead, I feel, in, and I'm sure you agree, is that by the year 2050, when there's 10 billion people on this planet, we will kind of have no choice but to be plant-based. So I think often that doesn't come up in the discussion about health, but the sooner you give people that bigger picture that when you eat plant, whole food plant-based now, you're doing the right thing for yourself, but you're doing the right thing for your kids and your kids' kids and their kids and many more generations to come. And that is a, such a powerful message also, which tends to get lost in the conversation. And I agree. And as, as in animal rights uh, activists, uh, I, I, I would rather start off the conversation with people with that. But the reality is that I've learned is I have to meet people where they are uh, and take them where they ought to be. I can't meet them where I am. Then I will lose them. Mm -hmm. I think that when you start to show them how their diet and overconsumption of meat and dairy, how it is poisoning them, and then make the connection mm -hmm. of how it is killing our planet, that conversation is more receptive. Yeah. Uh, so what I've learned and I've witnessed is that when people saw how it turned them around, then they were able to make the connection of the 70% of the anti antibiotics are being used on meat, uh, what um, uh, the gases from uh, poultry livestock is doing to our environment. We talk about holding the ozone later, layer. So once we get people to the point of saying, hey, this is what is being done to Dolly, your child, we can start talking about Molly the cow. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. People have to start somewhere and then lead from there. And, you know, food is also, again, a starting point. I know we only focused on food today, but you can't, you know, put beside the bigger issue, which is you have to um, get enough sleep, get exercise, have a good uh, community around you, a support system, and uh, have less stress. So, you know, people who are in poverty need to get out of that, too, for them to be able to even tackle their health. So it is part of a much bigger ecosystem of problems. But the power of food is it can be that first impactful solution you do three times a day or that, more. And, and, and all, although those issues 
um, are crucial and part of it. When you start controlling what you put in your mouth, you are going to become conscious about what are you putting in your psyches on the whole. Hmm. Right now, if you're not uh, concerned about what you're eating, you really would never be concerned about those things that are important. So I think the awakening is in the once you explore the, the, the universe of proper diet, nutrition, and taking care of your temple, you're going to sleep better because you're eating better. You're going to be more excited about exercising because you're not lethargic and living mm-hmm. through the caffeine and the sugar that's keeping you your pump. You're going to think clearer because plant-based um, uh, medicine, um, plant-based eating um, helps deal with your brain and is giving your brain the nourishment that it that it needs. So you're a different human being. You're really going to tap into who you always thought you were when you start putting the right fuel in your body. Your car's not going to run on something that is toxic to it. It's going to, it may move down the road and break down over and over again like our body is, but if you put the right fuel, it's going to get you to your destination and you're going to do it in a comfortable fashion. You're so right about that. I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. If you look far ahead, say the year 2050, um, 30, almost 30 years from now, 10 billion people on this planet, if the message that you're trying to spread out there with plant-based eating um, starts to grow and get adopted rapidly and becomes this, and it is already becoming a bit of a movement that's gaining traction. What kind of um, food system do you envision in the year 2050? What kind of world do you want to mm, see? I'm excited about um, <clears throat> where we're going. Uh, I believe there are going to be units in households where uh, you're using uh, uh, hydroponics, uh, aquaponics to grow your own food, the thought of going to the grocery store is going to be as obsolete as my son thinks of a rotary phone. (laughs) Uh, I think that you're going to have access to real fresh uh, vegetables and fruits right in your community, right in your kitchen. There are new technology and units out there that are showing how fast you can grow healthy, good food choices. Uh, I believe that we're going to look at some of the health issues that we see now and say, I can't believe that's how we were treating it. Mm. You know, we were actually uh, uh, putting stints in people's hearts when we could have just consumed kale and and broccoli and reversed the condition. I think we're going to look back over this period of time the same way we look over the fact that uh, at one time, doctors would recommend smoking to people <laughs> and have a pack of uh, Marlboros in their top pocket. So that's where we're going. Uh, we're moving to to a a period of awareness, and with that awareness, um, I believe that we're going to move to a period of time where we're going to not only be healthy physically, but we're going to be healthy spiritually and emotionally and understand that the value of family is important again and start building our institutions around raising healthy children and families and not just healthy corporations and industry. And you're going to see a better humankind because of that. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, all you have to do is subscribe to this show and rate and review it. To learn more about this podcast or my work, 
go to eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Thank you for listening.